Just give us one hour, and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice, and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. As a filmmaker, positive psychology coach, author, professor, and change agent specializing in the field of happiness, Lisa Cybers Kamen is widely recognized as an expert in the field. On the show, she also focuses on military families and service personnel returning with PTSD, traumatic brain injury, and other post-deployment civilian life reintegration issues. So, let's spend some time getting to the heart of the matter on Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now, here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, where we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. Before we start our chat, I want to let our listeners know we love hearing from you. So follow me on Twitter at Lisa Kamen and HH Talk Radio, or tweet at us with the hashtag HarvestingHappiness. All righty then, let's get to it. We are talking about for the love of technology, and we all love our technology, but technology offers us an up and a downside. And I want to get into this discussion because... I know for my own life and with my own family, this is a constant debate, you know, all being on our devices, sitting around a table and simultaneously everybody is having conversations and connections elsewhere when we should be minding what's going on around the table. My first guest is Tiffany Schlein, and she, I have to tell you, is a righteous babe rock star mensch. Before we get into her bio, I just want to tell you that's my name for her today. She's an Emmy-nominated filmmaker and Webby Awards founder. She's one of Newsweek's Women Shaping the 21st Century and is on NPR's list of best commencement speeches ever. Four of her films have premiered at Sundance, including Connected, an autobiography about love, death, and technology. Her original AOL series, The Future Starts Here, was nominated for an Emmy Award and has received over 40 million views. Her nonprofit, Let It Ripple, Mobile Films for Global Change, offers thousands of schools and organizations around the world free films and resources. Welcome, Tiffany. Hello. What a pleasure to be here. Oh, it is, it is really a pleasure to have you. You are a busy, busy woman. You are a mom. You're a filmmaker. You're a trendsetter. Um, and you have lots of projects that are, that are 
in the hopper. Tell us a little bit about a few of them, including the making of a mensch. Well, I was up until 1 a.m. last night finishing uh, one of two films, one, The Making of a Mensch, and, um, and the other film that we'll be premiering very soon is called The Adaptable Mind. And The Making of a Mensch really came out of me finishing a film last year called The Science of Character, which was an eight-minute film we made that explored um, a lot of ideas from the positive psychology movement, so the social science and neuroscience um, supporting the fact that you can develop who you are and and, and live a more meaningful and purposeful life. And happiness, of course, is a big part of that. So I made that film with my team last year, premiered on Character Day. And I'm Jewish, um, and a lot of Jews said to me, that's a great film, but why didn't you mention Musar? Now, I had no idea what Musar was, and um, but now I know a lot about it. And it's really um, Jewish teachings and ideas around character development that go back as far as the beginning of Judaism. <laughs> And um, and they, you don't have to be religious to relate to them because I'm 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 not a religious person. I'm spiritual. I'm an intellectual Jew, <laughs> and I love the traditions. <laughs> but uh, it was very exciting. So the making of a mensch really explores the idea of being a mensch, and a mensch is a Yiddish word for being a good person and living with meaning and purpose. So I explore a lot of these really cool ancient ideas that are having a resurgence right now. You know, here I was, I'm doing meditation and yoga and all these things that are not from my heritage. So it was really exciting to learn about Nusar. So that's one film. And then the second film is called The Adaptable Mind. And it's also 10 minutes. And it looks at um, what are the skills you need to flourish in school and in life in the 21st century. And um, that one I'm also really excited about. It's not totally done yet. <laughs> But when I heard you do your intro to the show, I'm like, I need to send you both of those films for feedback. <laughs> oh, well, well, more than feedback. More than feedback. I, I'll use them in my uh, my groups. I do addiction and trauma recovery, and that's where I'm using your work. Wow. Oh, you're going to really love... Oh, you're going to love them. Well, you're going to love the making of a mensch because it's really... It talks about... You know, we're all able to change all throughout life if we focus on it. And we have an ecosystem around us supporting us in that, too. Um, Indeed. You know, and it makes me think of the, the Yiddish word because I, too, am a, um, a Jewess that doesn't know really uh, uh, what you spoke of. Was it Masor? Say the name again. It's well, people pronounce it differently, but Musar or Musar. 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 It sounds like you're going to give a kiss, like a musar. Well, I'm. I am ignorant of this. In, in from a, you're going uh, to be so. You're going to be like me, where you're like, oh my gosh, this is everything I'm interested in, but through a Jewish lens. It's fascinating, and and it's kind of unknown unless you're like a professional Jew. Um, <laughs> it's unknown, and I am so excited to kind of release it from being just a religious thing because there's a lot of religious Jews that follow musar. The ideas are not, they can, they're, they're, and also I'm excited to free it up to the masses because I think once people learn about it, it's going to be very exciting. It's exciting and it's cool. And it's like, you know, you've probably heard the expression. I mean, if you know the word mensch, like menschkeit, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, uh, you know, we're all, I start off the film kind of saying, you know, everyone... The world's coming at us faster than ever, and there's all these things beeping and distracting us every second, and we all need more tools to find balance and meaning today. And, you know, whether that's meditation or yoga, you know, I, I turn off all screens with my family one day a week, whatever, whatever it is that you do or need to do, but everyone, I think, would say, yes, I need to find more balance in my life. <laughs> 
don't think anyone would ever say no to that answer, that question. No, and I think, you know, we need to disconnect in order to be able to deeply connect. You know, it, 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 it works together. You, ha you can't have one without the other. Absolutely. Going back to the adaptable mind and, and the uses of these films in educating young people, but it's really for everybody, you know. Oh, it's we for can... everybody. Yeah, it's for everybody. I mean, yeah. I have all age, I mean, when people are like, who do you make your films for? I always find that question so kind of baffling. I'm like, well, everybody. <laughs> like, wherever you're coming in, you're going to get something differently from it. And if you're younger, you might get a more empirical form of the idea. But if you're older, you'll get all the layers and nu nuances that we slather onto our films. <laughs> Because we do. There's so many layers. So ideally, it's everyone's going to be able to plug into these ideas. And the reality of it is, is we can teach an old dog new tricks. You know, you know, with the with the research that is being done in neuroscience and the um, uh, exposure of neuroplasticity and what we know about people recovering from trauma, from addiction, from traumatic brain injuries, the yeah. brain is a really hardy place. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and we always try to, you know, um, a lot of my films have a lot of neuroscience because I feel like, um, you know, unfortunately, people feel like um, the emotional skills are soft skills, but they are all, uh, they're all the brain. <laughs> they're all hormones. They're all, so the neuroscience is exciting from the last 20 years because it supports so many ideas that were talked about but didn't have proof. And suddenly all this neuroscience is backing it up. So I always try to include the neuroscience. I mean, my father, my mother is a psychologist, has a PhD in psychology. And my, my father um, wrote a lot about the brain and he was a surgeon. And so I was brought up with these two hemispheric perspectives. And um, I really try to combine them in the movies. Let's, Let's talk for a minute about Character Day, which is upcoming, right, on September 18th. Yeah. So Character Day, um, you know, last year, so we've had films premiere in every which way you can imagine, you know, Sundance and theaters and, you know, it's just, it's interesting as a filmmaker, the different ways you can launch a film. And uh, for the science of character, which was really made for um, students, but students of life too, and we really wanted to um, premiere it in a new way. So we thought, what if we, you know, when you have a film in theaters, Whenever you're doing press, you're like, go to the theater. You can see the movie opens in San Francisco and New York and L.A. and whatever. And you're trying to move people to a theater. So the idea with a cloud film premiere, which is what we call it, is let's just bring the film to everybody. So any school or nonprofit organization that wants to be involved can. It's all generously supported by foundations and grants. So it doesn't, it's free, which is a different model for us, too, which was very exciting. And, we'll, and you get to premiere a film. And you can do your event however you want. So... Last year, we were hoping for 250 screenings or events, and it was over 1,500. And some screenings were 3,000, some were 30, some were 100 on every continent. It was awesome. And then um, this year, we're already at, like, over 4,400 screenings in schools, classrooms, and organizations, which we are thrilled about. If any of your listeners want to host a screening, they just go to Let It Ripple, and it's super easy. We have discussion cards that you can get um, sent to you and posters and you can have your own event. You can just invite your friends over or you can do it at your company. And so on September 18th, there's going to be a big happening happening. <laughs> <laughs> Out there in the ethers and, and, and in our own uh, hearts, minds and offices, we hope. Um, let me just ask you, um, 
very quickly about, and we're going to go to a break, and so I want to just um, talk about the film Connected, an autobiography about love, death, and technology, because this is how I was introduced to your work. And um, How did you first hear about it? I'm sorry, say again? How did you first hear about it? I'm just curious if you... My friend, Carla McCloskey, Carla and Lee McCloskey, actually, uh, invited me to a screening at their home. Oh. And um, that's how I found out about it. And I immediately ordered a couple of copies of the film to start using it in the work that I do with people in recovery. And was really observant about the profound effect it had on these people who clearly had undergone trauma and saw the value of this connection when they were feeling in such an alienated place and watching your story unfold about, you know, about loss and trauma and difficulties and how you put that energy to work for something greater and made meaning out of what you were experiencing. Oh, that's so wonderful to hear. I I mean, I haven't, I haven't heard it used that way, but that is beautiful because it, it really was cathartic for me to make, you know, I think, I mean, you listeners who, if you see the movie, I, I did lose my father from brain cancer in the movie. And um, making that movie, I really processed everything. You know, I I feel like um, if you do go through trauma and try to channel it through art, uh, whether it's a film or writing or anything, you're going to deal with the loss instead of not dealing with it. Um, and th- making that film was so cathartic on so many levels. And actually, my favorite response is at screenings in theaters. I mean, I had a lot of people that would come up to me crying with big hugs afterwards, um, which was amazing. Um, but I love this idea that it shows how you can move on and get beyond it. The triumph over adversity. We're going to go to a break, and when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Tiffany Schlain. To learn more, please visit www.tiffanyschlain or go to themoxieinstitute.org. And on Facebook, that page is Tiffany Schlain Films. And on Twitter, the handle is Tiffany Schlain. We'll be right back here coming soon. Love is in the air. Love is in the Happiness is an inside job. Wear the message on T-shirts, baseball caps, sterling silver designer jewelry, and more. Please visit our online boutique at www.harvestinghappiness.com. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress came and has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. Available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Love is in the air, in the whisper of the tree. 
Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download this podcast and share it. Why? Because it's kind, it's free, it's legal, it's available 24-7. And we're talking about the love of technology, our obsession with technology, and the pros and cons of what it can do for us with Tiffany Schlein. She is the founder of the Moxie Institute. And maybe I got that name wrong. I'm just realizing it. Yes, Moxie Institute. And she's also a filmmaker. She's a trendsetter. She is a cool-ass, righteous babe mensch on top of it all, I have to say. <laughs> and, <laughs> and she and I are having a little, you know, we're having a little real-time technological noise here. So bear with us um, if you hear little whooshes and clicks because it's just real life happening, you know, in real time. So, Tiffany, we were talking about your film, Connected, an autobiography about love, death, and technology. We spoke of Character Day, which is upcoming on September 18th. And I actually have a sidebar question as a fellow um, Jewess. Uh, did you pick the 18th for high? Of course. Of course. <laughs> for life, for those of you who don't know. I don't know if you've seen, I bet you haven't, but you would really enjoy um, a film that my team and I made called The Tribe. And it's an unorthodox, unauthorized history of the Barbie doll and the Jewish people in 18 minutes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh no, I must see that. I must. You must see that. You must see that movie because it's really, it was my only other, I mean, it's, it's about my kind of wrestling with American Jewish identity and it, it premiered at Sundance 2006. And this film, The Making of a Mensch, 10 years later, in a lot of ways, is like a follow-up to that movie of my own evolution on my journey in this world. So, Into um, menschhood or to enhanced menschhood, because I think you started out as a mensch. That's my guess. Well, you know, it's, it's, a, you know, it's an ongoing journey. I think that's really what we get to at the film. You're always working on being more of a mensch, ideally. Ideally, I, that's what I work. That's what I work for every day. You know, how can I be better, kinder, more true, more authentic, more helpful? You know. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Let's talk about um, the. We, we mentioned about the importance of regularly unplugging and the digital distraction, the digital addiction that so many of us are just having a hard time with. I mean, I see it in, in the groups that I work with on, on, a, on a weekly basis. They have a hard time just putting the damn phone away. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, when my uh, father passed away, and I'm sure anyone who's had someone really, he and I were really close, and when that happened, it just made me think about time, and you never know when you're going to pass away, and someone close to you is going to pass away, and that's actually kind of a gift because you can really think of life as this incredible, precious thing. And when you're with the people that you love, you should not be so distracted. That's the way I felt. So after he passed away, my husband and I decided with our kids to do what we call technology Shabbats, um, which are Friday night. You know, we always used to have a really wonderful dinner for Shabbat, but just really adding on to that ritual and turned the screens off for a day. And it's been six years, we're in our sixth year, and it's been probably one of the most profound things I've ever experienced through ritual. It just gets deeper. The day feels extra long. I feel incredibly present. I look forward to it every week, and it really brings my family closer every week. And um, it's just been an amazing thing. 
I think, I'm, I think I've been more productive too. A lot of people say, how are you able to do what you do? And I don't work all the time. I mean, I really, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, when I was younger, I did, but now with kids, I don't value it to be a workaholic. I don't think that's cool anymore where I did when I was younger. I think my favorite people really have a combination and understand the importance of not working all the time. I know my movie, like I worked till one in the morning last night. Now, my younger years, I would have been like, we're all in the office finishing that second movie because we are behind the schedule. But the more evolved creative mind is like, I need three days off from that movie to know how to finish it. And I won't get that perspective unless I have a weekend off. And it's coming. Fortunately, it, 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 the, the weekend it's is coming. It's Shabbat. Yay. It's Shabbat. Yay. Something gave me a few years ago these little cell phone uh, technology Shabbat sleeping bags that they had caught. Yeah. Okay. It. So that's part of Reboot, which is an organization I'm a part of. And um, they, the reason I started the first technology Shabbat was there. They did something called National Day of Unplugging. And Ken and I and, and did participated in it with our kids for one day. And it was so powerful. We've done it every week since. So that that your decision to have that technology break came out of that, that yeah. reboot movement. Yeah. Very have, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's a wonderful thing for people to try. It usually happens in February. If people want to February, March, they can just go to a national day of unplugging if they want to check it out, but they could really start this Saturday, actually this Friday night, if they want to check it out, because everyone has the power to unplug at any moment. And I feel like we forget that. And we feel owned by our technology. Yeah, um, so true. Let, let me just let's touch upon the beauty of the internet. We've talked about the downside of that constant um, digital connectivity, but the flip side of this is we are opening up global frontiers to technology, to connection, and uh, a global village. And your film so beautifully articulates this. The film connected. Let's talk about the upside of this. Well, the upside is that we can have a global conversation on September 18th where everyone in their own way, in their own space, in their own culture, in their own perspective is going to talk about character in their community. And I, I never could have had a global premiere like this before. So it's bringing people together to talk about big problems or ideas in really beautiful ways. So I'm not a, you know, I do feel like there's so many people like, oh, technology's disconnected us completely. I don't feel that way. I feel like we just need to create some boundaries. <laughs> so I, a lot of my work explores the good, the bad, and the potential. But I definitely, you know, I founded the Webby Awards. I have spent a lot of time um, experimenting with the technology to look at all the ways it can help us. And, but I, you know, so I'm a, a big proponent of, you know, my husband's a professor of robotics, and we spent a lot of time talking about the good, the bad, and the potential, but it's equal. It's not like one overweighs the other. Um, they're all interesting and important to, for everyone to keep talking about because the more we kind of imagine what it can do, the more we can push it forward and the more we understand what it's taking away, the more we can protect ourselves from not letting it stress us out. And as parents, uh, you and I sh share that job role as well. I think your kids are a little bit younger than mine, but as parents, we have a responsibility, I think, to introduce menschy ways of using this technology, you know, yeah. to our kids. That's exactly right. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, menschy use of technology. Maybe I'm going <laughs> to see a section on the site. Yeah. Hashtag menschy use of technology, you know? Yeah. Well, 
I'll have to remember that. But, you know, I, I just, um, and I'll tell you the power of this is, is immense. I just um, moved my daughter to New York City for college. She's now a freshman in New York, which I can't believe because just yesterday she was, you know, on her way out of me. But um, she went to have uh, her professor advise her, her, her freshman professor um, yesterday, and she, she texted me the most cute and annoying um, message that the professor knew of my work in positive psychology, and it both irritated her and pleased her, you know? <laughs> That is so great. I love, I love that idea. You know, we have two daughters and our oldest daughter. It's so much fun to interact with her as more of an adult. It's just so How old is she? She's 12, but she's a very kind of wise 12-year-old. And we just have, it's just so fun to watch. I mean, there, we have one that's six, and that's the cutest age ever. And 12 is, is so beautiful, too, because they're, you know, she's on Twitter. She's at Odessa Zebra, and she has almost a 1,000 followers, and she's so smart and funny on there. And that was a really fun experiment. I think we had her on there earlier than you're supposed to, but she loves to write, and um, we thought Twitter would be really good to kind of teach her how to write in really concise ways, and she it really has helped her. So it's been this really fun way for her. She loves, you know, just she's great on it, and she engages with so many people outside of her sphere from all different parts of the world. And that's just been so exciting to watch the empowerment it's given her to have a voice at 12. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, I did see her uh, her recent post about um, typing the word frustrating as frustrating. Yes. <laughs> that's really pithy. <laughs> She's very funny. Uh, yeah, and, it, and you know, it's it, that's been just this whole, you know, I know parents are so worried about social media, but it's been such a bonding thing for my husband and I and Odessa to, like, retweet and, Look at each other. I mean, just think about it as a craft and writing. Yeah, exactly. And you're, 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 so, you're so, so correct. Um, what about digital DNA? Tell us about that. Well, I think, uh, you know, actually it was from a film that I made years ago. Oh, my gosh. I'm feeling old all of a sudden. I think I made it 15 years ago for the Webbies, and it was just, just thinking about technology as not – something separate from us, but it's going back to Marshall McLuhan's idea that technology is just an extension of us. And so many people talk about technology as it's something being done to us, but we're creating it. It's just us wanting to amplify everything we do. So it's just a shift in the way we talk and think about technology. You know, something just popped into my mind. When we ask people or when we contemplate ourselves what, we, what it is we want most in our relationships most of us would say something along the lines of being heard and understood. And maybe this digital DNA is part of exercising that desire or actualizing that desire. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. We are out of time. We have blown oh, through. <laughs> We've blown through our virtual visit. My God. We'll have to do it again. Please come back. Let us support you, your yeah. work. Thank you. And um, on a side note, I'd love to send you one of the cuts because uh, I think, I mean, we're almost done, but it'd be great to have your mind. Just any thoughts about it? I'll do it. Send it along and, and, and I will screen it for my tribe over here. Awesome. Okay. You have a wonderful Shabbat, a wonderful weekend. And thank you for having me on the show. Likewise. Just let me give our guests that contact information again. Please visit TiffanyShlane.com or MoxieInstitute.org. On Facebook, that page is Tiffany Schlain Films. And on Twitter, she is at 
Tiffany Schlang. You know one thing that uh, I should mention, because everyone misspells my last name, it doesn't have a C in it. Just in case they're searching, it's just S-H-L-A-I-N. I'm sure they'd find me, but I thought I would just add that. <laughs> we got it. We got it. You know, we'll be right back. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress Cayman has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life. Available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Saturday afternoons on 97.5. Joy riding the coast with a global vibe, pleasing your ears and inspiring your mind. Joy riding the coast with me, Lisa Cypress Cayman. Saturdays, 2 to 5, on 97.5. KBU and RadioMalibu.net. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. And if you're just joining us now, we are talking about our love of technology. And I urge you to download this podcast and share it. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's free. It's kind. It's legal. It's available 24-7 on iTunes and other purveyors of our fine show. We are talking now with Alex Suyung Kim Pong. He has been with us before. I originally recorded this interview earlier in 2015. Alex writes about people, technology, and the worlds they make. He has spent more than two decades exploring this relationship, first as a historian of science and technology, and then as a futurist and technology forecaster. Alex received his PhD in the history of science from the University of Pennsylvania, and in his latest book, The Distraction Addiction, he explores our deep, intense, and easy-to-misunderstand relationships with technology. So tune in and listen to this previously recorded interview. Here we go. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. Today we are broadening the ideas of addiction, and many of you are addicted. You might find that shocking. But I've been reflecting quite a bit on the concept of 
putting away my portable electronics, even for a few minutes. And sometimes when I'm standing in line, and I'm sure you've experienced the same thing, I can't help but reach into my purse and pull out my phone and check, you know, did someone text me? Did someone email me? Does someone want me that I'm unaware of that didn't want me a minute ago? And it's, it's, it's funny. It's true. It's relevant. And it's happening to all of us. And my next guest writes about things like this. Alex Soo Jung Kim Pong writes about people, technology, and the worlds they make. He has spent more than 20 years exploring this relationship, first as a historian of science and technology, and as a futurist and technology forecaster. Alex received his PhD in the history of science from the University of Pennsylvania. He is a senior consultant at Strategic Business Insights in Menlo Park, California, which is a consulting and research firm. He also recently held academic appointments at Stanford University, the University of California at Berkeley, and Oxford University's Said's Business School. Alex began his latest book, The Distraction Addiction, published in 2013, while serving as a visiting fellow in the Socio-Digital Systems Group at Microsoft Research Cambridge. Welcome, Alex. I am so eager to jump in on this because this is a phenomenon that I'm experiencing and I'm witnessing both in myself and my world. Oh, absolutely. As- and and, and you, are, you are by no means the only one, as you've seen. <laughs> It's so true. And what's interesting is I was sharing with you prior to coming on the air that I work quite a bit in addiction recovery. And I have a lot of young men and women that uh, come to me for group facilitation and counseling, and they cannot stay off their phones. Mm -hmm. And at first I thought, oh, my God, they're so disrespectful. And then I realized there's something more to this. And that's what you're here to tell us about. Absolutely. I mean, I think that the, you know, there, we often, I think, underestimate of both the amount of time that we spend engaging with our devices and just how profound um, our relationships with our smartphones and social media can be. You know, and I think there were sort of recent studies suggest that people, especially younger people, um, may have, you know, between 50 and 150 interactions with their phones every day, you know, checking Twitter, checking their email, you know, answering calls or even, uh, and, and so forth. And, you know, it provides I th- you know, both a sense of, you know, sort of validation. There is a, you know, there absolutely is a social dimension to it. You want to see what other people are doing and you get a kind of social reinforcement for that behavior. But there is also at a sort of neurological level or a neurochemical level, um, you know, sort of the kind of, kind of, of reinforcement that um, bears no small resemblance to um, the kind of, you know, sort of brain chemical hit that you get when you are gambling or that you get from some kinds of drugs. So there is this, you know, there is, there is a way in which you can, uh, you can talk about our relationships with technology sometimes taking on the quality of an addiction, just like the sorts of addictions with which we are sort of more familiar. You know, the problem of course, is that um, being addicted to technology is a bit like being addicted to food. Um, it is really difficult to just go completely cold turkey for the rest of your life. You know, furthermore, there are plenty of good things that you can get from it. 
And so I think that the challenge is lear is learning how you know, to to sort of get the upper hand back to you know to learn how to use these technologies in ways that enhance your life that make you more mindful and more focused rather than encourage you to operate in a more distracted way or feel perpetually mentally fractured well you know this is this is a great example of um what you're saying i'm in a group with a bunch of young people we mm -hmm. are talking about self-mastery the, right. the idea was what happens to you on the weekends in the absence of a recovery programming structure versus mm -hmm. during the week not you know monday through friday when you're pretty heavily programmed what happens to your moods what happens to your uh, ability to be self-motivated what happens to your use of technology and all the while you know a good portion of the clients were texting and so I, I finally said you know I'm not taking this personally I'm actually really curious what's going on and the response was overwhelming that that was helping them to relax and focus on my voice mm -hmm. sure you know and I think that there were or a couple a couple things that I noticed there one is that um there are studies of multitaskers, you know, of people who constantly are, are, try, are juggling um, several different activities. And one of the amazing findings is that people who are heavy multitaskers all think they're really good at it, but in fact, they're not. There's a kind of self-defending quality to multitasking. And you get the kind of feeling of mastery even as your actual performance on even relatively simple uh, sort of relatively simple things sort of goes or, or uh, declines. The other thing, of course, is that humans for thousands of years, and I think probably ever since we became human, have struggled with the challenge of, you know, of what to do, sort of how to how to face boredom or you know existential dread or or uh, you know or, or or other things and this and you know the smartphones and social media provide an incredibly accessible easy mindless kind of way to sort of fill those gaps and so you know i think that sort of between the the sort of the appeal to mindlessness and the reinforcement of things like our sensibilities around multitasking, um, you end up in a state where it's really very, very easy to fall into that kind of sort of that, that kind of relationship with technology, that kind of mental state. And, you know, you really have to take notice of it and sort of work to correct it. The good news is it's it is entirely within everyone's ability to do that. So you know, it just requires being mindful about it and learning how to practice. And let's talk about that. In your yeah. book, The Distraction Addiction, you talk about the concept of contemplative computing. I love mm -hmm. that. Well, thanks. No, it, you know, it's got a, it's it, and you know, the big idea there is that it, it is possible to learn how to use information technologies. The very same information technologies that you know may that may distract you today to help you be more focused and mindful tomorrow. And you know, we often or if we often talk about these technologies as if either you know, our relationships with them are kind of hardwired that 
the sort of dopamine hit that you get from a like on Facebook or a repost on Twitter is something that sort of that we can't overcome. You know, we have to obey our brain chemistry. Um, or that, you know, just like people complained about the effects of the printing press 500 years ago, so too were people today who are complaining about social media just, you know, sort of backward dinosaurs who were just, you know, and they don't really, you know, sort of get the internet. And I think that the, or of, you know, what contemplative computing tells us is that our relationships with these technologies are not hardwired. They're not sort of, deter- sort of, they're not determinative. We have a lot of choice about how we can use them and we can make all kinds of choices to use them better. So, you know, by paying attention to the, to the effect that they have on us, to why we, you know, even simple things like why we're choosing to pull out our phones and look at them when we're in a line or when we're, you know, or on the bus and thinking about where that comes from, how we sort of, what alternatives we have, what other choices we have about how we can use these devices. Um, by becoming more mindful about our technology use, we can become more mindful while using the technology. And and how would one do that? In other words, when I'm pulling out my phone in the grocery line or, uh, you know, waiting to go through security at the airport, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really just um, soothing myself. I'm dealing with my distress, you know, tolerance. I'm not mm-hmm. very tolerant of waiting in this line. Um, I'm delaying my gratification because I know I'm going to get to the other side and be able to go get a nice coffee at Starbucks. Right. You know, there are a whole lots of things that are happening. And so when you're suggesting that we can take a mindful approach, is it meaning that we engage with these devices differently, that we maybe are listening to a meditation or researching something? What exactly do you mean as, you know, as part of the mindful practice? Sure. Well, part of it, you know, is taking notice of your own interior state when you're sort of, when you, when you have the impulse to pull out the phone. Part of it also is learning to use the, learning to use these in different ways or sort of tweaking them so that they are less intrusive or maybe a little bit more inaccessible. So a good example of, of, changing your changing your smartphone so that it is less intrusive is um creating what are called whitelists you know which means that um only the people who really matter in your lives get sort of uh real sort of get noticeable impossible to ignore ringtones you know the way that phones normal the cell phones normally work is that they are kind of like the amplifiers in this is spinal tap um, turned up to 11, right? You know, sort of every tweet, every new Facebook post, um, every phone call, voicemail, all are treated equivalently, all are equally urgent and demand your attention right now. Well, if you lived your ordinary life that way, um, you wouldn't last very long. We all make choices all the time in social situations, in class, um, while we're driving, about what matters most to us, what we need to pay attention to. So the first thing you can do with your phone is apply those kinds of uh, – apply the rules of ordinary life to the way your phone interacts with you and say, you know, there are a small number of people who deserve my attention no matter what. And those people get – 
one ringtone. In my case, it's the opening bars of Derek and the Dominoes song, Layla, right? Which is a song, you know, I've heard this a million times, but every time I hear it, I'm going to notice it. And then the rest of, and that's family, kids school, couple other people. The rest of the world gets um, a piece of ambient music by Brian Eno. And I'm likely to notice that, but I'm, but it's much easier to make a choice about whether or not I'm going to answer the phone, whether I'll let it go to voicemail. Um, so, you know, that's one example of a pretty simple accessible design tweak that begins to help you take control of your phone's relationship with you and also does a better job of reflecting the way in which most of us actually live or live and organize our social lives. Um, we are, we're, I'm going to jump in here because we need sure. to go to a break. And when we come back, I want to continue this conversation because it is dazzling me. And I'm sure it's dazzling <laughs> our listeners at, as well. You're listening to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. And my guest today is Alex Sujung Kim Pong. And the website is Contemplative computing.org and the book i want to give the plug is the distraction addiction we're going to break here come those tunes and when we come back we'll carry on the conversation about broadening the ideas of addiction if you feel like happiness is the truth like Lisa's take on happiness, well-being, and human flourishing? Join us this spring as Harvesting Happiness launches online classroom programming where Lisa Cypress-Kamen will offer her workshop series across the globe and from the comfort of wherever you are. Visit HarvestingHappiness.com for more details. Be a part of the grateful good. Grateful Nation brings together patients, families, friends, and staff of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center to support the quality care and groundbreaking research at the medical center. Through new and traditional media, members of Grateful Nation share experiences, thank our caregivers and researchers, participate in sweepstakes, and gather to sponsor and host events and much more. Being grateful inspires others to be grateful as well. Isn't it time we jumpstart some perpetual gratitude? Visit Grateful Nation online to find out more at www.gratefulnation.org. Have a grateful day. I feel good. I knew that I wouldn't. I feel good. I knew that I would not. So good. So good. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us at now, I urge you to download this podcast on iTunes. Why? Because it's free, it's kind, it's legal, it's available 24-7, and we are exploring ideas of addiction. And if you are just joining us now, we are talking about the addict that exists in most of us in Western society, and that is um, the drug that's called your cell phone or your tablet or your electronic displays that we can't seem to get enough.
enough of and, and, and find very hard to put away. And my guest today is Alex Sujung Kim Pong, and he's written a book called The Distraction Addiction. So, Alex, we're talking about our addiction to technology, our addiction to our devices, and how we can learn to manage ourselves better anyways. Yeah, and, you know, I think that it's it, you know, important to, rel- to, to recognize that, um, you know, living without technology is actually something that um, human beings have never done. You know, we have, li- we have co-evolved with um, you know, technologies for the last couple million years, and at its best, the relationships that we can have with them are incredibly deep and profound and can make us better people. You know, think of, you know, sort of everything from the experience of uh, the freedom of riding on a bike when you're a kid to um, the things that you're able to express when you're playing a musical instrument or painting or writing. You know, these are all examples of relationships that we have with technologies that stretch us, that challenge us, that make us or of more human rather than less. And so I think that the it is possible to have that same kind of expansive broadening relationship with information technologies um, rather than ones that end up, you know, making us or essentially kind of shadows of our, you know, of our, of our better selves. And I think that's the challenge we face now. And you talk about how our, our brain chemistry is changed by um, social media, by using our, our popular devices, and mm-hmm. you know, it's the, the, the dopamine kick that we get. What else happens to our brain when, when, well, when we're on our devices? You know, as neuroscientists say, um, dopamine is literally the only thing you enjoy in life. So, um, <laughs> you know, it is sort of it's you know it's it's power is not to be underestimated but i think it's important to recognize that while we have a really good explanation for the role that sort of you know brain chemicals like dopamine or oxytocin sort of play in generating pleasure we don't want to sort of reduce everything in life to just dopamine hits um, for one thing, there's an awful lot of stuff that goes on in our minds or in our brains that we don't yet understand. We don't have, for example, a really good neurochemical explanation for um, altruism or courage or self-sacrifice, even though it's very clear that humans are able to exhibit those uh, those behaviors. Um, and so I think it's, you know, f- while it is sort of good to understand of where this addiction comes from, um, it's also important to recognize that, you know, our brains do not reduce just down to dopamine-seeking chemicals. It's also, I think, important to take note of the way that information technologies, especially smartphones, don't just kind of connect with our brains, but with our bodies as well. A really nice example of this is the phenomenon of phantom cell phone syndrome. Where have you ever had that feeling that your phone was 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 vibrating in your pocket, but it wasn't there, or it was you know, or it actually wasn't ringing? And I'm embarrassed to admit, yes. <laughs> well, you are in very good company because two thirds, three quarters of people have that feeling at one time or another. And what happens is we, you know, consciously or unconsciously, we become very attuned to of the the sensation of a new call so that you know when we have so that 
or if we become more likely to misinterpret things like you know, a puff of wind or brush of clothing against our skin as our phone vibrating. And you can see, in fact, that people for whom missing a phone call is a really big thing, like medical residents you know, who are on call um, or young parents are a lot more likely to have phantom cell phone syndrome than the rest of us. But it's a, you know, and I think that's uh, that's a nice example of the of the deep ways that these technologies are able to kind of weave themselves not just into or of our brains, um, but also or of into our or of body, uh, what scientists call our body schemas, our sense of where our bodies begin and begin, where they end, and where the world picks up. Um, so you know. I th- so we're dealing with a, with a technology that really is pretty powerful, and that's both sort of the bad news in terms of, of how much they're able to, of, to, to addict us, but also it's the good news in that once we learn how to deal with that, um, we're able to do some really good things with it and really good things with ourselves. How do designers and um, these companies, the, the digital companies, capture our attention? What is it, what is it that they're doing? Yeah, that's a really good question because, you know, um, they are – I think that they're what, – what game companies, social media companies, and especially, you know, or actually companies that design gambling machines have figured out over the last 20 or so years is that there are certain things you can do that reinforce pleasure, that keep people playing, that keep people interested in sort of in games or spending money. Um, and so, and they tend to do this by um, setting defaults. So for example, Netflix, which I love, you know, I, I watch plenty of stuff on Netflix, has this beautifully evil design tweak where if you were ro- watching, let's say, 30 Rock or Parks and Rec, you finish an episode and it automatically queues up the next episode to begin in 10 seconds. Now, 10 seconds is just enough time for you to rationalize and say, yeah, you know, I can watch one more and then I'll, you know, go to the gym later and work out twice as hard. Um, and so, but by setting the default to keep playing, Netflix engages you for longer um, and makes it more likely for you to, you know, to, to, to continue your subscription. Um, they've also, I think that um, social media companies and gambling and gambling and gaming companies have also become really good at manipulating what they call intermittent reinforcement. So, you know, if you were to, you know, if people were to like every single post that you put on Facebook or Twitter, it actually would get kind of boring. And so by, and the, the, the what reinforcement, what intermittent reinforcement teach sort uh, of uh, uh, the way that that works is that the occasional reinforcement is the one that is sort of more interesting and more stimulating, and so with um, you know, with uh, with social media companies, the fact that not everybody likes everything is sort of encourages us to post more to try and figure out what it is that our friends like friends maybe in quotation marks and to or you know, to keep putting up stuff until we get you know until we figure out or 
what our audience really wants. With gambling, with things like video poker machines, the latest generation of them actually have cameras that watch you play. And they do two things. One of them is the facial recognition is good enough now so that if you're a criminal, if you've been banned from a casino and they've got your picture, they can identify you and throw you out. But the other thing that they do is watch your mood. And they see, okay, if you're starting to get bored, you win the next game. Um, you, know, you, <laughs> you hit just enough of a jackpot to keep you interested. And so the game is actually able to adapt itself dynamically to your level of interest and to figure out, okay, how much of a payout do I need to give so that you know I may give up 10 bucks, but it'll make it more likely that the player will bet 50 the next time. And so by doing this, you know, by, tweet, by being able to tweak the intermittent reward in real time, video poker machines and video slot machines are now able to keep people occupied for you know, literally hours and hours who otherwise would have just uh, played a few rounds and then given up and you know, gone to the show or hit the buffet. That is both brilliant and scary at the same it time. Is. Oh, my goodness. We need to move on because we actually are running out of time. I want to talk about um, the concept of digital detox because yes. I, think, I think it's brilliant. It's something that I actually do or I think I'm doing it every summer when I go on a ra- rafting trip and everybody surrenders their electronics and we just have each other for several days. Actually, that's cold turkey. Do, does it work? And how long do you have to go on them to see benefits? Mm-hmm. Um, it, um, yes, it works if you do a few things. I mean, I think one of them is um, having something else that of, that's, uh, to occupy your time is really, really important. So, you know, rafting is a terrific example. Um, another is you have to, th- that um, people who do it regularly, like every weekend or so, say that it takes two or three sessions before you really begin to see benefits. So you need a measure of perseverance. The other thing I think is that you need to think of it in t- not in terms of, you know, kind of self-denial, but rather that, you know, what, you're do- what the people who, su- who succeed at it find is that it gives them not just an opportunity to reconnect with other people, but also to um, rediscover a slower, more leisurely sense of time and, and to kind of allow their brains to shift into um, sometimes a quieter, more reflective, more leisurely sort of pace that actually is the way that we used to live up until about 30 years ago. And so, you know, I think that, but, you know, I think that thinking of it, the people who do it most, most successfully end up thinking about it, not just in terms of, you know, getting away from technology, not just giving up stuff, but getting something back that is really valuable and learning how to live, you know, and learning how to live a richer life, not just learning how to live, you know, not just being in real life. The book is The Distraction Addiction by Alex Sujung Kim Pong, and his website is contemplativecomputing.org. On Twitter, he is at AskPong, P-A-N-G, and on Facebook, Alex S.K. Pong. We are winding down another hour of Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you like what you hear, pass it on, share 
Follow us on Twitter at Lisa Kamen and on Facebook, like us at Harvesting Happiness. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress Kamen and my amazing and technologically savvy guests today, Tiffany Schlein and Alex Young Kim Pong, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. And a quick shout out of huge thanks to our producers who make us shine each and every week. We appreciate you. Go out and make it a good one. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress Kamen. Join us every Wednesday morning live at 10 to 11 Central Time here on TogiNet Radio. Then harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with free downloadable podcasts available at iTunes. To learn more about Lisa's filmography, felicitation, and philanthropy, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Each week, Harvesting Happiness presents engaging trendsetters, exploring our world through science, art, medicine, media, music, philosophy, politics, and the human heart, whose perspectives on life are sure to inspire, provoke, and engage. Lisa's diverse guests are a proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Like Lisa says, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following us on Twitter at hashtag Harvesting Happiness. Then join us again next week at this same time on the TogiNet Radio Network.